Exodus chapter 12, verse number 14. We gave a prelude during the communion, but we're going to elaborate just a little bit this morning so that we can know. And please follow in your Bibles. Now this day will be a memorial to you. Everybody say memorial. And you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. And again, I want to talk about, thank you, those who stood, and you can stand for the word when we, when we read it. I want to talk again about shared sacrifice, shared sacrifice. And before we get to the part that inspires us and that some of us feel are, is applicable or applicable to us, we want to take an educational journey through the Word for a few moments and understand this thing we do, this thing that churches do, this thing that religious people do, this thing that you find happening at churches all throughout the country on Sundays. Some of them do it once a month. Some of them do it twice a month, uh, but we do it every Sunday. And this is not a comparison uh, and an analytical criticism of other churches and other traditions. This is an introspective look at what the Bible says pertaining to this shared sacrifice and what we have learned to call the communion which is representative of shared sacrifice. Before there was what we read about in the Old Testament, there was something called the Passover. Here in Exodus chapter 12, what had previously happened was that God sent Moses to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And on sending Moses, he sent some plagues into Egypt. Pharaoh was stubborn. Pharaoh was unrelenting. Pharaoh had his heart hardened by God. And if I had time to tell you this, I would tell you that it wasn't that God forced Pharaoh to be stubborn like he was, to be stiff-necked. It was that Pharaoh had all the right ingredients to be resistant to the word and the will of God. And all God has to do to any of us if we are predisposed to being stubborn, all he has to do is take his hand off of us. If he takes his hand off of us, we'll go in our own way. Thus we have prophets like Jeremiah who says, Lord, it is not in man that walketh to direct his own steps. God took his hand off of Pharaoh and let Pharaoh do what he wanted to do. So the plagues came, and with each plague, Pharaoh would say, okay, I'm going to let the people go, and he wouldn't do it. He'd change his mind. And then there was the final plague of Israel, the final sign, and the final sign after the flies, and after the boils, and after the darkness, and after the hell, and after the sickness, and after the Nile River being turned into blood. The final plague was that God was going to dispatch from heaven his death angel, or an angel of death, that would go through Egypt 
and kill every firstborn in every house. This started with Pharaoh killing all of the male children to prevent Moses, the deliverer, from making it into adulthood. He killed all the children, but now God was in a way going to settle the score. And he says, Pharaoh, what, what, what's going to happen is I'm going to send the death angel. God told his people, when I send the death angel, it will enter into every house. No matter how locked your doors are or how secure your house is, the death angel will go in and take the life of every firstborn. Well, 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 God always provides for his children. You see, when God punishes and when God's wrath falls, it's never designed for his children. Are you understanding this? Hell itself is not for us. Hell itself is not even by original design for humanity. We have no business in hell. The Bible says that hell is for the devil and his angels. God loves humanity. But God will protect those in humanity who decide to follow him and who belong to him. And the children of Israel belong to him. So he gave them a solution. He said, I want you to take a lamb. And I want you to take that lamb and I want you to slay that lamb. I want you to take the blood of that lamb and put it over the doorpost, but not just any lamb. The lamb couldn't have any blemishes. The lamb couldn't be scarred. It couldn't have a defect. It couldn't be crippled. It had to be a lamb with purpose. So I need you to understand that the lamb was taken and the lamb was blessed by the protective custody of the one who would sacrifice the lamb. Watch this. The lamb was taken the lamb was blessed, set aside, then the lamb was broken. Some of you see where I'm going already. They would take the lamb, they would make sure it's protected from blemish because that was the qualifier for being sacrificed. After that lamb was taken and blessed with protection, they took the lamb and they broke the lamb. They killed the lamb. They slit the lamb's throat. They broke his flesh and the lamb's blood was posted over the doorpost. So when the death angel came, watch this. The pronouncement was, when I see the blood, I will pass over. Okay? I'm revisiting this, uh, but I don't want to assume people get it from one sermon. Thus you had a meal that was going to be perpetual and that meal that was going to be a memorial for the sacrifice of the lamb whose blood saved them from the death angel was called the Passover feast because that night the death angel passed over those whose houses were smeared with the blood of the lamb. Now you understand the Passover. While they were there, they were not just to take the blood and smear it, but they were supposed to cook the lamb and eat it and take the lamb into themselves. Now, let me tell you this. If you look in this chapter, you'll find 
that the deaf angel was not inspecting the people in the house. He was not inspecting the people in the house. He wasn't seeing if the people in the house had a good personality. He wasn't going to see if the people in the house were good to one another. He wasn't going to see if the husband and the wife in the house were getting along. He wasn't looking to see if the children were well-behaved and well-mannered and they used manners and sat at the table and ate properly and didn't spill anything. He wasn't checking the house to see who had a bad attitude. No, the only thing the deaf angel was looking for was the blood which means their salvation did not come from anything they did or any way they were or anything they had going for them, but their salvation was contingent upon what the death angel saw. And if the death angel did not see the blood, it didn't matter if they were good folk, it didn't matter if they were very liberal and generous with people it didn't matter if they had a good personality and everybody in the land liked them that didn't matter the only thing that mattered the only thing that would bring the death angel to keep going and to pass over was the blood he did not respect the people he respected the blood and he said, when I see the blood, I'm not talking about when I see your blood. I'm not talking about when I see pig's blood. It's got to be the right kind of blood. When I see the blood of the unblemished lamb, I will pass over. So in verse 14, they did this feast every year as a memorial. Everybody say memorial. The word memorial means they had to remember. It's not a memorial if you don't remember. <laughs> okay, there are certain holidays that come around and people get off work. But they don't necessarily remember. I mean, who remembers Christopher Columbus and takes time to observe Christopher Columbus when Christopher Columbus Day comes? Even in African-American history, Martin Luther King Day, it's a holiday. Most people don't take time to reflect on Martin Luther King. So it, it's not a memorial, it's just a day off. When you don't remember, it's not a memorial. When you don't reflect, it's not a memorial. God didn't say this was a day off for them. God said, this is supposed to be a memorial, a memorial, something that happens every, to every year, and you have this feast while remembering. What am I remembering? I'm remembering that Junior wouldn't even be here if the blood wasn't on the doorpost. I'm remembering that God's grace was provided for us when he told us what to do. I'm remembering that I didn't have to die like an Egyptian because of the blood of the doorposts. I remember that God passed over. So, okay, we look in the Bible times and you say, what does that have to do with us? Because we don't memorialize the Passover. We don't. But the children of Israel, the Jews memorialized that time that it was a regular feast day 
It was a regular time of year where they remembered and they had this meal. And this meal had in it not just, not just, they didn't have chicken, greens, and cornbread. They had the same thing they had in the original meal. They had bitter herbs. And guess what they cooked? They cooked the lamb. They cooked the lamb and they ate the lamb. Everybody with me? What was that meal called? It was called the Passover feast. Now watch this. That was the supper of the Jews. The memorial supper of the Jews. Go to Luke chapter 22. Let's be educated. Okay? Passover. Passover. Everybody say Passover. Luke 22, verse 13. Jesus was a Jew. So you know what he did? The men who followed him were Jews. So you know what that means they did once a year? What did they observe? They observed the Passover. Every year, Jesus began his ministry at the age of 30. He commissioned 12 men to follow him. And with those 12 men for all three of those years, once a year, they would memor uh, uh, memorialize this feast called the Passover. Every year, they met Jesus at about the age of 30. And for every year they walked with Jesus, just like every Jew, they had this Passover meal. Verse 13 of Luke chapter 22 says, And they departed and found everything just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Jesus dies at 33. This is his 33rd year. This is the third year that he would have this meal with his disciples. He's 33 years old now. This is the third year before he died. Making the Passover right here the last supper. You get it? That's what makes it the last. Now, this is not the Lord's Supper. This is the last supper. So when we say the Last Supper, we're talking about what meal together? Passover. Y'all with me? Oh, that's good. Be educated up in here. So here they are having the Passover. Verse number 14. And when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the, the apostles with him. And he said to, him, to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Suffer, So he's saying, uh, you know, I wanted to make sure this time happened. I wanted to make sure that I didn't spend this Passover with my own family. I wanted to sit with you and, and remember and have this Passover meal. And the Bible says, for I say to you, I shall never again eat it. You see what makes it the Last Supper? I shall never again eat it. Until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Until what is fulfilled? Oh, God. The Passover of the Old Testament existed, but it wasn't fulfilled until Jesus' last time he took it. Let me help you understand. 
The lamb in that Old Testament was a type of Jesus. Jesus would be taken, he'd be blessed, and he'd be broken. And after he gets broken, he'd be shared with the world. How does it go? Just as that lamb was taken, he was blessed, he was broken, killed, and then he was shared with every member of that family in the house. It wasn't about the lamb itself, but it was about the lamb of God. So what Jesus came to do was to fulfill it, to make it happen with himself. Because years ago, it was always about Jesus. So he's fulfilling it, right? Watch the text. When he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. Take and share. Now watch this. This is still the Passover. This is the Passover. That cup he took was not anything about him immediately. They They were memorializing and enjoying the Passover. Are you with me today? Okay, you got to follow. You got to follow. I want you to be educated. Know. And once you know, you can convey it. Once you know, you're responsible for when we come into this house that we don't de- degrade and, and downgrade such a powerful part of our worship. He gets to verse number 19 and he's done with the Passover. And he says, and when he had taken some bread and given thanks, which was the blessing, he broke it. And look at what he says. He says, this is my body. So they were eating the lamb with the lamb. Y'all missed that. Y'all missed that. How do you know he was the lamb? John 129. John 129. John, his cousin, sees him coming from afar off. Do you know what he says? He says, behold, the lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. So here they got an opportunity to eat the Passover lamb with the lamb who is the Passover. And he takes bread, he breaks it, he blesses it and breaks it and says, this is my body, watch this, which is given for you. Do this, watch this. He is now no longer deferring to the Old Testament Passover. That's what you did. Now he's telling them, do this. You did that. But now you do this. You observe that. But now you observe this. This is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. Don't do it out of tradition. Don't do it 
out of, out of, uh, out of habit. Don't do it out of routine. Do this in remembrance of me. How many of you have somebody you love that died? That you, were, that you were close to? A grandma, a parent, a child. And I know for a fact, talking to some of you, that around that time of year, you know what you do? Some of you go to the cemetery. Because this was a traumatic loss in your life. Somebody you loved is no longer here. And you will go, there are people that go to the graveyard. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's the, we, we, we are creatures of emotion. And you don't go to the graveyard and just chill there and have a picnic. You don't go to the graveyard and take phone calls and send text messages. You don't do that. You don't go to the graveyard and look across the cemetery and try to figure out who's that driving up on the cemetery. You don't go to the graveyard and whisper about the dead person two tombstones up. You go to that graveyard, that cemetery, and you take a moment and you reflect. You put flowers down, you reflect, you remember, you might shed a tear. Yes, it was awkward today. I felt it and it should have been awkward. That's exactly what should have happened today during the Lord's Supper and every Sunday when you are remembering. But the modern church is in such a rush to get out that their zeal about getting out is greater than their zeal about coming in. And we have allowed it. Certain voices who in the name of keeping things orderly end up disorderly in the presence of God. This thing, this church thing is not for the commercialization and the attraction of men. It was never about man. How selfish is it for you to make somebody else's birthday about you? And everybody knows somebody that come into your birthday party and steal the sign. Hey, everybody. No, sit. Lord, please forgive me. But anyway, sit down somewhere. This ain't even your day. You don't go to a wedding trying to outshine the bride. It's her day. And you don't come to the house of God trying to outshine Jesus. It's his day. It's called the Lord's day. The day where we have the Lord's supper. Are you all understanding this? We need to get back to some things. And Lord, forgive us for trying to uh, appease people. Lord, forgive me for that, for trying to appease people and worried about who won't come if the service is too long. I figured out something a long time ago and the Lord resurrected it in my mind. People come to 
and stay for whatever they want. Some of y'all back in the day and maybe even struggling every now and then today will close a club down. You there when they say, last call. Y'all can act bashful if you want. If you're not doing it today, you remember what that was like, some of you. Is, is there an honest person in this house? I want to talk to some real folk that know what it feel like to be in a dark room with strobe lights up against the wall talking about to get to the house of God and you ready to go and Jesus is, Jesus as he looks on God as he looks on says you're in such a rush that you're making this about you I'm not saying have an eternal worship service that's heaven but what I'm saying is Get back to the main thing. How do you know it was the main thing? Go to Acts chapter 20 and verse number 7. So we see here, Jesus took bread. He took bread. And we know that that bread was symbolic of him because Jesus himself says, I am, John 6, 34, 35, 36. He says, I am the bread of life. He calls himself the bread of life. So when he takes the bread and he breaks it, it is symbolic of what was about to happen to him on the cross. He would be broken, not his bones, but his flesh would be broken. He would hang there suspended between heaven and earth, giving his life for people who did not regard him, who do not love him. He didn't say, I'm going to wait till you love me before I give my life. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Says nothing about the world loving him. Romans 5, 8, God commended his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Some of us will love somebody if they love us first, but the sacrifice that we share every Sunday morning is not based on our performance, but on his love. And if you're waiting to be worthy to take it, as soon as you're worthy to take it, Jesus is not necessary. Because he died to cover the doorposts of the hearts of people who without the blood would face death. So when it says worthy, it's talking about discernment. Well, maybe I won't take the Lord's Supper because I got mad this week and I cussed somebody out in traffic. Was that wrong? Yeah. Christians got no business flicking people off on the highway. Amen. You better stop that because you don't know who, you, who, who that person is. You pull up together the red light and it's Bishop Twyman. 
Bishop Twyman, I'm so sorry. Uh, I, I, why'd you cross in front of me, Bishop? Yeah, we're supposed to repent of that. Watch this. Repentance is a change of mind, which means repentance is a perpetual state, not a single action. We should live lives of repentance. Because how many of you, like me, get it wrong some way every day? I know some of you are not like that. God bless you. Maybe you're sleeping all day. I don't know. But how many of you get it wrong in some way Every single day. Let's look at the purpose. Acts 20 and 7. The Bible says what? This is in Troas. What does the Bible say? On the first day of the week, mm -hmm. when we were gathered together to break bread, mm -hmm. Paul began talking to them, mm -hmm. intending to leave the next day. And he prolonged. You see this? Go back. On the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to sing... Any, anything other than the Lord's Supper is the addendum. It's, it's the fellowship part. It's the worship part. But the disciples' main focus when they came together was to do what Jesus did in front of the original 12. Break bread. It became so identified with Jesus that in Luke 24, I want you to see this. In Luke 24, after Jesus got out of the grave, there were some disciples he, that he had saw. One disciple, his name was Cleophas. And we have a Cleophas. Hey, Brother Sturchill, Cleophas. It wasn't your descendant, though, okay? There's another Cleophas. Cleophas. They see Jesus. They don't know him. He breaks down scripture to them. They still don't know him. Amen. You know when they recognize him? Let's look at the text. Luke 24, start around verse uh, 32. Read! <laughs> and they said one, one to another, uh -huh. were not our hearts burning within us? This is after they're talking with Jesus. He's, he broke down the scripture. These two disciples on the road to Emmaus, what does he say? Our hearts did burn within us. Read. While he was speaking to us. While he was speaking. They don't even know they were speaking to Jesus at this point. They just said, whoever this man is, our hearts burned. He told us something that convicted us. Read. On the road. Uh-huh. While he was explaining the scriptures to us. While he was explaining the scriptures to us. Read. And they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. Read. And found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them. Read. Saying the Lord was ri ha has really risen uh -huh. and has appeared to Simon. Read. And they began to relate their experiences. This on is the how road. they related their experiences. Read. And how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. It wasn't the scriptures. They didn't recognize him because he was teaching. They recognized him and knew it was Jesus because nobody can break bread like Jesus. Oh, here's the principle for your life. If you gotta be broken, and all of us in life will be broken, 
I don't care how much money you make. I don't care how good you got it in your relationship. I don't care how healthy you are. Life will break us. But if you're going to be break broken, the best person to break you is the one who blessed you. And the best, per best person to bless you is the one who took you. He takes us, he sanctifies us, he blesses us, and the reason why he blesses us, because he has to break us, because in order for us to be shared, we have to be broken. Nobody who's living on cloud nine has a testimony. You start sharing your testimony after you're broken. And some of us, when we think back, if we don't have a testimony and there's nothing in our spirit that can pull up something to say about what God has done for us, maybe we haven't been broken enough. I get highs with somebody who's never been broken trying to tell me about the goodness of the Lord. You're telling me textbook goodness. But oh, when you've been broken by the one who blessed you, when you spent some time unemployed, when you spent some time sick, when you spent some time disappointed, when you spent some time being hurt, when you spent some time being discouraged, when you spent some time not knowing your left from your right or up from down because life breaks you and the Lord breaks you and he uses situations and circumstances and predicaments to break you. When you get to opening your mouth and talk about the goodness of God, you don't, only, you don't even sound like somebody who knows nothing about being broken. You're not talking from a textbook. You're not even talking from a book, chapter, and verse. You're talking from a personal testimony. Yeah, I can say God is good all the time. All the time what? But for that to fall from the lips of somebody who's been there God's goodness shines best in our broken situation. Not, not, watch this, not simply the broken situations, but the broken situations, hear me now, that we can't fix. Because you walk away worshiping yourself when you fix your broken situation. You walk away patting yourself on the back, but the path to sacrifice is brokenness. Thus Paul says in Romans chapter 12, in verse number one, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living, Sacrifice. Sacrifice is a spirit. Sacrifice is a lifestyle. In this society where people want something for nothing, where people want it all without paying the price, you want to get married but don't want the sacrifice of being married. So there's a new category. The categories used to be married, single. Now it's this friends with 
Benefits. What kind of benefits? Marital. So why do you need to get married if you already have the benefits? You end up with all of the benefits and none of the sacrifice. None of the arguing. None of the fussing. None of the fighting. None of the trying to get aligned. So you end up with two unbroken people trying to share their lives with each other. But the path of sacrifice is to be taken, to be blessed, to be broken, and then to be shared. It's hard to share when you're not broken. As a matter of fact, people get closer together when they're broken. The most, the greatest point in history where I saw and you saw this nation coming together was during 9-11. Why? Why couldn't we do that before 9-11? What was the missing ingredient? We weren't broken. Black and white holding hands as together they looked ashy gray because of the ash that rose from those dilapidated buildings and gotten spread on everyone. You couldn't even tell color. Because when your brokenness gets with my brokenness, we become whole together. And that's the path of sacrifice. So when we come together and we take the Lord's Supper, as I said during the Lord's Supper, which is, went from the Last Supper, the last Passover, to the Lord's Supper. He said, this do in remembrance of me. Remember me. There should be something significant. When you take that bread and you drink that cup, that's not crackers and welches. It's for a memorial. It's symbolic. You're supposed to let your mind drift onto what Christ did and the silence that made some of us uncomfortable today is how it's supposed to be. Take a moment and remember Jesus. We're not sitting here worshiping because of anything any president did. We're sitting here as worshipers because of what Jesus did. And you're here today because of what Jesus did. How dare you? How dare you and I come in here to evaluate instead of realizing that we are being evaluated? Just like there's always somebody that show up to your big 40 or your dirty 30 birthday bash that's just coming to watch and evaluate. May that never be the case. When we come into the house of God, God is evaluating. And his spirit roams this audience and enters every heart to see if the lips 
and the service that comes from them matches the thought of the heart. For he said in his word, some will say, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Some will say, Lord, have we not cast out many devils in your name? And he said, depart from me, I never knew you. In vain you worship me. Your, your, your words were right on me, but your hearts were far from me. And this is why we should appreciate shared sacrifice. If you're not a child of God today, if you haven't been baptized for the remission of your sins, if you haven't repented, if you haven't been filled with the Holy Ghost, which at some point we're going to talk about, we're going back over everything. This is the year of education. We have a lot of inspiration. But somebody in here may be disconnected with God. And here's the trick of that. The devil can make you feel like you're connected with God. And you be just as far from God as east is from west. How does he make you feel like it? Self, uh, when we compare ourselves among ourselves. As a matter of fact, at the end of 1 Corinthians, that communion text, chapter 11, he says, why do we commend ourselves among ourselves? If I'm looking at your raggedy life, and my life is not as raggedy, I will deem it that God is judging me based upon a comparative study between me and you. And because you feel better than somebody else, you'll think you're closer to God. But the scripture is repetitive on showing the people that were closest to God were the people who were the most broken. I learned how to pray when I got sick. I didn't learn how to pray when I got well. I learned how to say prayers when I was well. I learned how to pray prayers when I got sick. Because those said prayers, <laughs> you know the said prayers. All of us know the said prayer. Keep us from all hurt. That's a said prayer. It's a repetition, right? Be with us on these highways and and I don't know what that is yet to this day. Byway? <laughs> Going my way on the byway? I don't know what it is. Come see me if you do. Right? Bless us to, from all hurt, harm, and danger, highways and byways. And, and, and Lord, uh, let us down deep in your treasure of love. These are said prayers. There's nothing wrong with them. But you don't own them until you desperately need to pray them. They're not yours. Lord, help me. Oh, have mercy, Jesus. It's easy to say have mercy, Jesus, when you're not the one suffering. But it's a different have mercy, Jesus. When you're in the thick of things, it's personalized. It's not public. It becomes private. When doctors see you and they don't know what to do with you, when mess happens and you lose your job and all of this stuff falls in on you and you're trying desperately.
desperately to keep your right frame of mind. Is there anybody that ever felt like they were going through so much it was driving you crazy? That's that desperate call. That's that call that someone else might be able to say, but they can't quite feel. That's, that's what God is searching for. A broken and a contrite spirit, David said, he will not deny. So I know what comes out of our lips, but what's in your spirit? If you're here and you're not a child of God, this is what you need to do. This is what the Bible says to do. You need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 10 and 10, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. All, watch this. All you have to do is have real faith. You said it? That's all you have to do is have real faith. Because real faith comes with obedience. If obedience is not with it, that's not real faith. That's Sam's choice faith. That's Dr. Thunder. That's not Dr. Pepper. That's Michael Combs. That's not Michael Kors. Real faith says, Lord, I believe in you to the point to where whatever you tell me to do, I'm here to do it. And brokenness will do that to you. Lord, I'm so tired of hurting. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Lord. Help me. Have mercy. Whatever you need me to do, Lord. I'm here. Here am I. Send me. If you really believe on the Lord with real faith, then whatever he tells you to do, you don't have a problem doing. That means he, tells, he says repent. You don't have a problem changing. Amen? If you talk about changing, then you have not repented. Changing, turning your mind around, confessing with your lips what you believe in your heart and being buried with Christ in baptism for the remission of sin. And he will give you the gift of his Holy Spirit. So if you need to come, come now. And you, now we're waiting for you. The water's ready. Who's baptizing today? Who's baptizing today, brother? Yeah, Darwin Brown, he's already pumped up. Did his workout. So he knows how to gently bury you, but there's a you, there's a rendition of you that got to die. I'm sorry. That rendition of you tries to come before the throne of God, but that rendition of you has no respect for the sacrifice of Christ. You've reduced the sacrifice of Christ to that was good church. That's not the sacrifice of Christ. And thus it only lasts as long as Sunday lasts. Come Monday and Tuesday, you all out of gas. <clears throat> so you need to come. Maybe there's somebody here and you're going through something. I know my wife is going through some illness right now, and I'm asking you to pray for her. Uh, pray for our whole family. Because when mama don't feel good, some of you brethren are afraid to finish that. What's the, what's the rest of it? When mama don't feel good, what? Nobody feels good. Nobody's happy. <laughs> These men are being careful. <laughs> what? The, what? <laughs> but there's others of you that are going through things, and they're private. Everybody stand to your feet. And this is the end of the worship. They're private. They're silent. Somebody needs to come to Jesus. You come. You come. Somebody needs to come for prayer. You come. You come. Walk down these aisles.